I think collectively the industry's got to do some sort of movement to look after people and and start checking in with people, start asking the questions, are you okay? Because the old slogan is, you know, it's okay to be not okay, which is right. But because you're in this very big bravado of a, a kitchen where it's full of egos and everyone puffing their chests out and it, it doesn't have to be like that. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of the Burnt Chef Project. This week's guest is Mike from a business called the Hospitality Hut, which is a consultancy which aims to teach the restaurant and hospitality industry how to perform and how to operate in a much more healthy and sustainable manner. Having worked in top restaurant groups and being a Michelin-trained executive chef with over 20 years of experience, Mike has brought some really interesting things to the table, reflecting on times gone by, on certain actions and behaviours, and also how we look about moving forward with regards to things like destigmatizing mental illness, and also encouraging our teams to, to be part of a, a family, and to be part of an organisation that works well together in unison. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode and for more information on The Burnt Chef Project do head over to our website www.theburntchefproject.com where you'll see our new training courses that we've launched as well as be able to get access to the Burnt Chef Academy app which is free as well as support services for where you are. On the surface, we at Lamb Weston are a leading global frozen potato product provider but hospitality is in our roots. We are helping to chip away the stigma of mental health in the industry and truly believe in well-being through potatoes, which is why we are in full support of the Burnt Chef Project. If you want to find out more about how we provide well-being through the humble potato or try a free sample of our award-winning products, such as our proper British chips, The Dukes, follow us on Instagram at Lamweston UK. Uh, Mike Jennings. Um, I've been a chef for 22 years now. Um, I've worked in some of the most amazing restaurants in this country, from Michelin stars to celebrity chefs to owning my own business. Um, I just wanted to really share a few of my experiences and things covering, obviously, in line with the podcast, the mental health um, side of hospitality, which I think is, is massively overlooked. Um, so I've been, I started out as a pot wash, same as everyone else in the local pub, peeling carrots, washing pots, um, doing little bits of, you know, cooking at home with parents. You know, my mum was a really good cook, still cook with her now. Um, and then when I was at school, I, I didn't really get school. I didn't really enjoy it. There was nothing there that, that said enjoyment to me it was more like very military work da 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 and yeah I didn't really take to it so I came out with average GCSEs and one of my uh, one of my teachers said why don't you go into catering so I looked at it as my options went into catering college did the first year thought I knew everything gobby little lad from Manchester and then um, the second year one of my lecturers said to me actually you're pretty good at this you know you should get your head down keep your mouth shut and you might actually do something with it so I ended up doing a level three uh, GMBQ course, qualified, left there and found that I actually did enjoy cooking. 
I genuinely enjoyed it. I did like Sunday roasts at home, started to get cookbooks. First book was Gary Rhodes. Um, and then at the age of 20, I decided it was time for me to get some independence. So I left home and went and worked away. I uh, went over to the, the beautiful island of Jersey where I thought I'd go over for six months and go and explore and find out what what it's like to be a grown-up. Uh, I ended up doing seven years in Jersey, um, working for a Michelin-style restaurant over there, where you know I built myself up from a demi-chef to party up to senior sous-chef. I um, was part of a team that got a Michelin star, got four rosettes. We were one of the top 20 restaurants in the country. And that was intense. Looking back on it now, that was a very intense environment. Um, still to this day, some of the best food I've ever cooked. Um, Learning-wise, I, I will never forget what I learned there. That taught me the fundamental basis of proper cookery. Classically taught, skills that I still use today. Um, but because of such an intense environment, we had a brigade of 10 chefs, 10, 10 12 chefs. And we, I mean, we were making everything, the breads, everything was made from scratch. And the responsibility on my shoulders for running that establishment, uh, you know, in the absence of the head chef, when he was away, we did day off or whatever it was, rare days off for him, especially, um, you know, it, it took its toll. And I remember, I remember just having a breakdown. I just had a day off and my mum rang me up and she said, um, are you okay? How are you? And I just burst into tears and I said, no, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I'm doing all the hours God sends. And, and you know, there was no fault. There's no blame to this at all. It was just the industry. That's what it was. You know, we're talking, what, 10, 11 years ago now when, when Michelin restaurants were at the height of pressure. You know, you've had the Ramsey, you've had the Marco time. It's intense, you know, and you've got responsibility. Every plate leaving that kitchen needs to be a one Michelin star standard. And if it's not, you know, it's on your shoulders. So it's a lot of pressure. And that pressure builds up, builds up. And then, yeah, I just exploded. And within about, say, about a month, I literally packed everything up and left. I just went on self-destruct. I just said, I need to leave. Um, and I just, friends, everything, just cut ties with the whole thing. Just went. I went to to find some solace but because I was free falling at the time I I went straight into another Michelin star restaurant as a senior sous chef and it was just an just as intense it was a bigger restaurant it was in the UK and you know the standards were still the same the pressure was still the same but I just turned to just go out party, you know, live the party lifestyle for about six months where I just literally went into a hole. Um, and it wasn't a nice place to be because the foods always carried me wherever I went. As long as I was addicted to it, I always tell people that cooking to me is an addiction. Uh, you know, whether I make a sandwich at home or whether I make a, a tasting menu, it's it's an addiction. I have a standard inside me where it needs to be achieved to that level. The, there's no middle ground with me. You either do it properly or you don't do it at all. It's as simple as that. So, yeah, I was free falling. And then fortunately, I was um, I was approached by an agency that I'd worked with before. And they said to me, an opportunity has come up down in uh, Dorset. Uh, it's a head chef position. Now, I hadn't been a head chef. I was 27 at this point. 
And she said to me, there's a headshot position come up and it's for Gary Rhodes. Now, I obviously, Gary was an idol of mine. Um, and she said, on our books, you're the best candidate we've got and we want to send you the six people applying for this job. So I thought, right, well, I need something to, to break this this chain because I'm, I'm, I'm spiralling out of control here. So I, I drove down to Dorset. I met Gary's number two, Wayne. We had a meeting for three hours um, and then I drove back. And two days later, he rang me back and said, right, Gary wants to meet you. And at this point, I was like, wow. Um, I went down there again for the second interview. I ended up having dinner with Gary Rhodes, which was just an honour. Um, and then took the job. We got offered the job, took the job. So, yeah, it was head chef by 27 for Gary Rhodes, of all people, which was like a massive step forward. Um, and, and obviously, it still had its pressure, still had a brand new team to, you know, grow, to train. Obviously, the pressure of, of, a, of a celebrity chef on your shoulders, some would say, is more intense than a Michelin star restaurant. But you, I started to, to look at it and, and, and focus on more of a management role instead of a doing role. Whereas, you know, when you're in the kitchen, you are literally running 100 miles an hour doing everything. Um, and unfortunately, the time got short. Uh, I did a year there, but then the, the company that were working with Gary, they, they cancelled the franchise with him. So I had to go back and start again. So I moved back up to Manchester um where I worked in a couple of restaurants just to you know kind of find out what the field was like so I've been out of Manchester for a good eight nine years at this point went back ended up working at a small little neighborhood restaurant called Grenache um and I did a year there and I had this real take on I knew what my kind of food was and what my style was so I did a year as Grenache's head chef where we got two rosettes in our first inspection and then we got Michelin recommendation. Then uh, a year later, the owner asked me if I'd like to buy the restaurant off him. He decided that he didn't want to be in the restaurant game anymore. So me and my partner, we decided that we would go into it. I would do the kitchen, she would do the front of house. So we did this for two years and, you know, I can honestly say to anybody thinking about opening their own restaurant, just think very carefully because it is more than consuming. You know, we're talking seven days a week, you are active and you are, whether it's the books, whether it's the the orders, whether it's the cooking, whether it's the cleaning, whether it's the restaurant toilets, whether it's the, the DIY, everything falls on you. Every single heartbeat of that falls on you. And to throw a real spanner in the work, we, um, my, my partner fell pregnant. Um, a month before we took over the business. So on top of opening a brand new restaurant, we had a newborn to deal with as well, which wasn't really ideal looking back at it. I think that there could have been a well more formulated plan than what we did. Um, but then, you know, we had some great times at Grenache. We had some brilliant times. We made a really good reputation for ourselves. Manchester was singing about us. I was, I was nominated for best chef in Manchester for three years on the trot. Um, the Michelin guide was sniffing around, which at, at that point, you know, that was my go-to. You know, I wanted to get the first Michelin star in Manchester. That was it. That was my heartbeat, and I was pushing for that. Um, so then we got to a point with Grenache where we outgrew the building, and we had to make a sacrifice. Now, because hospitality is all I have ever done, the 
the big decision that needed to be made was, are we going to carry on with this business or am I going to carry on with this business with the opportunity that I may potentially lose my partner because we're going further apart because she wants to be a mother. She wants to spend time with the, with the child and the kids that we've got. And I, I was so fixated with Michelin style. That's what I want. That's, that's what I have to get. I had to make a decision. I had to make a very big decision in my life, which was, do I chase it on my own or do I sack it off and just concentrate on something that actually is more important? And it was a difficult decision to make, you know, it, it really was. But I chose my partner and it, it, yeah, it was difficult that, but I know that I made the right decision because then fast forward a few years where we're stronger than we've ever been. And I think she's seen as well that there is a side to me that's not just restaurants, not just hospitality, not just cooking. There is a father figure now. There is a partner, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, difficult decisions to make. So I, I got another job in Manchester working at a really good restaurant, working with some great people, did three years there. And then we went into lockdown and... Lockdown was a real turning point, as I'm sure it's been for many, many people in the industry. Um, you know, everybody in hospitality has just been given a 12-month holiday. Nobody knows what to do with themselves. Nobody knows what, you know, I, I don't want to be a chef anymore. I don't want to do this. I'm not doing the hours and everything else. And I had a bit of a eureka moment. You know, I was I started running. I've never run in my life. I started to do 5 and 10K runs. Um I'm eating healthier, I'm walking the dog, you know. And I decided that this year I was going to set up my own consultancy business. Now, to me, it's not about money. It's not about how much money can I get to satisfy my lifestyle. I set up a consultancy business because I wanted to give something back to hospitality where I could be very hands-on and very approachable to businesses and spend time with people and and educate people on, say, mistakes that I've made in the past, but also guide them and be a bit of an arm around the shoulder, you know, go into a kitchen and, and see young chefs. And if you hear the head chef shouting at them, take him to one side and say, listen, you can't speak to people like this. That world's gone now. We're in a new world where you need to educate. You don't need to wrap them in cotton wool, but you need to be understandable to these people. Otherwise, you won't get anything from them. So that's where I'm at now. Quite a journey, hey? Yeah, yeah, you could say that. That's a lot of uh, a lot of experience as well. And and sorry, how old are you now? So I've just turned forty in June. Crikey. Yeah, it's an awful um, lot of experience. Yeah. So, you know, getting married in a couple of um couple of weeks. Um and, you know, we've been together 10 years, I've turned 40 this year, so it made sense to, to just kind of do everything right and start focusing on what's more important. You know, I've worked one Saturday night since November in a kitchen, and it's, it's unreal. You know, I'm, I'm looking at all the things that I've missed out on, and I question, have I done this too late? Have I missed out on too much? But really, it's, it's not that, you know, you make life what you want to make it. And I'm a strong mm. believer that if you want something to happen, you go out and make it happen. So I think by having this free time 
the one thing it's really taught me, Chris, is it's given me time to think. And by thinking, I make better decisions. And, yeah. and a real message that I would, you know, want to get out to people listening to this is never be afraid to, to say how you feel to anybody. You know, there's nobody out there that's going to laugh at you because you're, you're struggling in a kitchen or you feel undervalued or you feel like, um, you know, the, the, all the shit ends with you. It, it's not about that. There, there are so many more support networks around, whether that is your head chef. Uh, you know, I used to fear going to head chefs many years ago. But really, when you did go to them, they would just open the door to you and they would just say, right, what's the problem? I talked about leaving uh, when I was in Jersey years ago. And I said, oh, I want to leave. I want to go traveling. I want to go to Australia. And and he said to me, no, you know, why don't you just save some money and go on a holiday for a month and really enjoy it? You know, instead of going to work there and pick strawberries for a year and just doss around, why don't you go there with a purpose? Why don't you go and work in a decent restaurant for a month? And then you'll see the culture. You'll see that side of it. So, I don't think it's fair that head chefs have got this big, scary character about them because I believe that all head chefs are approachable, you know, in the right way. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of emphasis at the moment of this period of time of, you know, resource crisis, not just in the UK. This is felt uh, internationally. Obviously, it's worsened over here by the result of Brexit. And I do worry that the... The, the conversation of sort of mental health and building awareness around the subject of mental illness is can be deemed at times as negative because we're working with factual information, which is it's a tough industry, it's stressful, and as a result, with the work-life balance the way it is, um, you know, the, the skill shortages the way it is, it can increase the risk of mental illness. But yeah. I think we also need to be very conscious that as an industry now, we want to be able to recruit people into this industry because we're, I believe that we're at a precipice. We're at the point of a long-term change, and it's difficult. And it's a, you know, it's a, there's a lot of work for us to do in order for us to get there. But now is a fantastic time for people to come into this industry for the first time, or to, you know, to consider a, a career. Like our local, um, local uh, chap who's been working at co-op ever since I moved up to to the my neck of the woods has just had his notice, and he's going to become a trainee chef, which I think is fantastic mm-hmm. because effectively he's he's got customer service skills, and also he's coming into an industry whereby whether it's been forced, our hands been forced or not, COVID has meant that we're now starting to have a look at how our businesses operate in order to be able to give their staff some degree of work-life balance that they've been they've become accustomed to as a result of COVID. Hundred hundred percent. And and one thing that I've seen is um since COVID, I've I've met a few different businesses, some who believe that they can continue operating as they are. They can continue telling the staff that they're going to be doing 65, 70-hour working weeks, but they're still contracted to 48, and that's just the job. But then there's others. I've spoke to, I spoke to a hotel recently who said, no, you know, we, we are operating differently. We will pay for overtime. We, will, we do a four-day working week, and if the chefs want to do an extra day in the kitchen, they're more than welcome to, and they will be paid in full at their hourly rate. So it means that 
you're absolutely right. There are people out there in the industry who are still diehard chefs who want to get in there and cook amazing food and they will do all the hours God sends. But to now see there are businesses who will financially look after them. And I think we're going to go into a bit of a full circle where I believe we're going to go back to a world where the guest will start looking at uh, going out for dinner as a treat again, because we have so many options to dine out now. I mean, we're all guilty of it. You could go to a pub three times in a week and not really hit your bank balance that hard because you just tick a box, can't we bother cooking tonight? We'll just go to the pub and get steak and chips and it'll cost us 20 quid and we're done. But I think what's going to happen is, I think the bigger picture will be wages will have to be paid in full over time and everything else. That will start becoming a law, I think. Then the price of food will go up for the consumer because they'll have to cover the cost of that extra wage then you throw brexit in so the price of food produce is going to go up at some point so the guest experience the guest is now going to have to spend more money which will make it more relative in the current times but i think we will go back to the late 90, early 90s late 80s where i remember going to the pub on a saturday night for dinner with my brothers and my mum and dad and that was a big night out that was a big treat we'd go once a month and, you know, we'd go and we'd have a three-course meal, we'd have a couple of drinks, and that was it. And I think people will start to connect more with being at home, cooking at home. I think people have, have taught themselves how to cook at home a lot more. Everyone's building garden houses and bars in the back garden. So going out for dinner should hopefully become more of a special occasion again. And then we can we can maybe start to focus on if you're going out for a special occasion, therefore you, you you should get the best ingredients. You should get the best food cooked in your location for that establishment. So if it's a pub, I struggle to find a pub that does proper home-cooked food now. You know, I would quite happily pay 15, 20 quid for a meal if it's cooked properly. You know, if I'm getting proper local ingredients and I've got proper well-trained chefs that are being looked after and being supported then I would, I would support that all day long. I think we might see a change to the, the chain restaurant empire. I think you may see some casualties there because financially I don't think they'll be able to survive. Mm. I think with the number of what used to be their sort of golden ratio whereby you had, it was all based on slimmer margins because everything was running I say slimmer margins. It was all based on scale, economy of size. You know, yeah. The more the more sites we have, the more people we have, the more money that we can make. But ultimately, on, also on the flip side of that, when times get tough, unfortunately, those are the businesses that also start to struggle. But then it does lead the rise for independence. And one thing that we have found is that the suppression of independence is has been quite strong. You know, certainly where I started the project down in Bournemouth, we had um, a couple of. Uh, large independents open up and then it significantly hampered local trade by about 20 percent yeah so it would be nice to be able to see those who have perhaps lost their jobs in the larger larger businesses to be able to find it within the smallers but then also you know for those larger businesses to be able to pivot and be able to look after their staff and charge the right amount for food as well because 10 pound for a main meal 
anywhere is unsustainable and it does make it very difficult for other businesses to compete with. But you, you quite happily pay nine quid for a prawn cocktail in the local pub if you knew you were getting a good product and you knew the staff were being looked after. And that's the thing. It's like the old cliche, isn't it? You could go to an outdoor terrace in the street, for example, in Manchester, and you would see an abundance of people sat outside having a great time. But then when you see somebody walking down the side of that group of people with five cans of Red Bull and a hoodie over some chef whites, you know that there's something not quite right there. Do you see what I mean? Because they're fueling themselves with Red Bull and all the rest of it to carry on and Marlboro Lights and then you've got drug addiction and all the rest of it to get through this this painstaking job, which is effectively, Angela Hartner said it many years ago and it always stuck in my brain. She said, it's just food. That That's all it is. It's food. Whether you're a three Michelin star restaurant or you're a little pub around the corner, it's food. A carrot will always be a carrot. You know, it, it's as simple as that. And I think if you keep that mindset as a chef, especially, it's only food. Nobody's going to die because of a standard of food. It brings me back to a point in your in your career then that I find quite interesting is that the the goal, and I believe thoroughly that if you have a passion and you have a goal in your life, then ultimately you can put your body and your brain through some some tremendous things. And you could still be relatively healthy as long yeah. as you've got a strong, strong purpose. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you find that, that that started to be impacted? Certainly, for what I'm quite curious about is you're working in your first Michelin star kitchen as a senior sous chef. And you, the specific point that you mentioned was when you were trying to cover and look after people whilst the head chef was off and you had that pressure. So at what point did that that journey of actually, I need to start self-medicating with alcohol and, you know, I'm feeling the stress and pressure. I need to walk away from this job occur. Um, I was I was allowing it to happen uh, without talking to anybody for probably about 18 months. I was, I was literally just fixated. That was it. I was just nine o'clock in the morning. I was in that kitchen. I was there till finish some days, six days a week. Um, you know, wouldn't leave until the orders had been done, wouldn't leave anything, wouldn't speak to anyone. Then I'd be straight down the pub, a few beers, and then back in the next day. Uh, and that was like a ritual. For about 18 months, I did that. And then I think my body's way of showing it was a simple phone call from my mum just saying, how are you? And it just it was just a trigger. And I spoke to a good friend of mine at the time and I said, I really don't know what to do. I think I need to leave. I don't know how to do it. And again, wise words, wise people. He said to me, the hardest thing you've got to do is make a decision. Once you've made that decision, the pathway is is just going to carry on. You, You basically, once you've made the decision, you can move forward. If that decision turns out to be a wrong decision, well, you'll have to make another decision later down the line. But ultimately... You've got to make a decision for your own health because this isn't healthy for you anymore. And it it was me as an individual that had to make the change because I'm not saying that restaurant should have changed because that was that restaurant and that's how they operated and that's how it worked. And I was part of that fabulous experience for six years and, and I will never regret anything about it. But it was just too much for me at that point. I, I'd, 
I had got to a point where the pressure had just built up too much. And yeah, you know, I wasn't keeping fit. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't, you know, running or anything like that. It was, you know, I had a day off. I'd be down the beach. I'd be having a beach party. I'd be going out for dinner. And, you know, I was just living another lifestyle. There was no responsibilities. I had no kids, no no wife, no nothing like that. It was just, it was me on an island going for it. And I was just, the, the thing that kept me moving was the food. The addiction was the food. And I, I looked at every single plate of food that we served and I never looked at it and thought, I'm embarrassed about that. Never. Always felt proud. Always. Every single plate. But that was instilled in me. And that's what I mean. So if I cook with the kids at home and and we make, I don't know, something like a, a simple cottage pie, we'll make it from scratch. And I'll get them to sit at the breakfast bar and I'll show them every single step of the way. And the eldest, she's 10 now. And she... She loves her food. One of her favourite dishes is fillet steak with chimichurri. And for a 10-year-old, that's like, they, they don't eat food like that. Um, but it's because she, she's she been educated along the way to try different foods. You know, I'll go to the supermarket and buy a dragon fruit and say, just try it. And if you don't like it, well, I'll eat it. It doesn't matter. You know, but you've got to be able to try everything. Um, mm. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It is a tough industry. Um, you know, I've worked with people from military background who've worked in the army or the navy, and they've said to me, "This is the only thing that they can compare to being in the army," because it was military. You know, I've 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 given out bollockings for people that have been two minutes late in the kitchen. Um, you know, I'm guilty of giving the odd bollocking out here and there, without a doubt. Um, but I always had the best interest of the individual. You know, I, I've had chefs that have worked under me who who have now got Michelin-style restaurants over the country. And I look at them and I'm just absolutely super proud of them because I'm like, well, I've, I've had a part of your upbringing in this industry. You know, there was a time when you were below me in a kitchen and now I look at you and think, you know, amazing, absolutely amazing. You're doing incredible food. Yeah. There's so many there's so many different angles and so many different things that are one thing I always get asked is, you know, okay, so this is our business, like what can we do to improve it? And there's so many different angles for that business, there's so many different variables involved. You know, you say that you have best interest in uh, with regards to your staff and you've given out bollockings or you've worked long hours or you've partied hard. And I think that there is a equilibrium that can be, that can be got to a, a yin yang, if you like a complete balance whereby, you know, these things can be done in the right ways in the right timescales as well. So like you can go out and have a laugh with your mates and, and, you know, have a few drinks providing that doesn't become a habitual ritual like mm-hmm. after every single service in the same way that you can, you know, provide feedback to a member of your team. But as long as it's feedback and it's a managed performance process, as opposed to, you know, you're, you're making it your mission to, to berate them and to, to drive them down, which I'm not saying in your case it was. No, 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 but no, I you're think right. that we work on an industry of extremes, don't we? And I think that's yeah. that's that's where we need to start to try and 
bring it back down so that we do get that equilibrium again. So it's no longer, you know, how many hours can we work? How fast can we work? How much can we drink? How loudly can we shout? You know, yeah. how hard can we sweat? How high can we yeah. get on a, on on the accolades chart and start to actually bring it down so that we can retain that passion and that buzz and that pure and creativity, all the great things about this industry, but also make it sustainable long term because you know we we did a a report that we've just closed now for just over two thousand people two thousand one hundred and thirty three and only five percent of all of those people were over the age of forty really and then th- yeah two percent of them were over the age of fifty so what we're seeing is that the this industry tends to, and, and the majority of those people that have filled out the survey were predominantly chefs and back of house. But what it's indicating is that between the age, ages of 18 to 34, 35, great, you can be in this industry, but then people aren't staying around for much much longer. No, you're right. I mean, I I, uh, I did a job down in uh, Essex, and I met a breakfast chef there who was 74. And he's part-time. And he's worked at this hotel for 10 years. And a lovely guy, heart of, heart of gold. But I I just thought to myself, I don't want to be cooking my own breakfast at 74, never mind cooking in a restaurant. You know, I, uh, I, I couldn't get my head around that. But I think also, that said, people are leaving school, going to catering college now. And I still question whether colleges are fundamentally teaching enough basic skills. Because if I went to college now, I know I'd get educated on water bath sous vide cooking, which is great in the industry. But also, I'm not being taught the classics. You know, I've had chefs come into my kitchens over the years that have done level three students that don't even know how to sharpen a knife. Oh, we never got shown how to use steel. Or we never got shown how to make a basic beef stock. And I think oh, that's that's the basics. That that's that's where cookery starts. These are the basics. This implementation needs to be put in place for for the industry to grow again. Um, otherwise, as we're finding in the industry now, people leave college and they're all chef de parties. You're a chef de party by eighteen, um, which is unheard of. Um, and then, oh yeah, I want to be a junior sous now. Junior Sue by 21 years old. You're like, well, what, what skills have you got? Well, I've done 500 covers at this restaurant before, so I know how busy it can get. But you, you've got no skills, though. You know, you've. Maybe that's just my background looking at it. I don't know. I have a very fine detail that I look at with the basic knowledge of a chef is, is paramount in any kitchen I've ever worked at. Whether you're a commie, whether you're a sous chef, that basic knowledge needs to be there because if you don't have that, um, I, I can't teach anything else. And I used to say to anybody, if you've got common sense and a basic understanding of cookery, I can teach you. I could teach you anything else. But if you don't have those, we're not we're not going to move forward at all. Um, and I think that's something that the industry struggles with. You know, you, you don't get ready-made chefs anymore. You don't get people walking through the door with knowledge or with with that hunger you know of reading books and you know I've got a cookbook collection upstairs that's just massive I've got thousands of pounds worth of books that I've bought over the years that fixated on that I could go I want to make this I wonder which book it'll be in I know which book it'll be in because I, I know where they all are 
I know what content they've all got. I know that if I want to go and have a look at something from Noma, I've got an option there. But then again, if I want to go and look at something, you know, classic, I've got the repertoire or I've got LaRousse or, but, but nowadays I don't see people as fixated on that knowledge. And, and I think that's such a shame in the industry. But that said, do people want to learn that much? Is that percentage of chefs that high anymore? Because when I started out, everyone was chefs. It was it was still the rock and roll era, do you know? Marco had just retired. Gordon was was kicking on with, with Hospital Road, was the main restaurant in the country at that point. And I walked into into, into Jersey and you know, was blown away by what I walked into. The freshness, the the buzz, the excitement and everything. And I think that's now becoming just a small percentage of our hospitality. Those that we know about, because the key thing for me and the reason why I fell in love with this industry was I absolutely love everything about the food and the environment. And I've never been a chef. You know, I've worked with thousands of chefs over the last 12 years now. And I've worked front of house in busy bars you know, so I understand what it's like in terms of pressure, but never working in the kitchen environment. And I am strangely allured to it, even knowing all that I know, like, you know, the thought of the provenance of the food and the flavors and the preparation and the buzz of the service strangely appeals to me. Mm. But for me, the thing that would put me off at this moment in time is the the work-life balance, which ironically I don't get anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And also the, I think the salaries, I think is, uh, are two things, but, and I think, I wonder how many more people there are like me who actually will go, do you know what? That appeals to me. I like that, that regimented approach. I like that, you know, that level of pride and professionalism that you get with our trade that you might not get elsewhere. But mm. at this moment in time, you know, I'd like to be able to see my family and I'd like to be able to earn more than 30 K a year. Yeah, and I just I just wonder whether or not we'll see a, a surge of people coming into the industry if we start to address those things. I think I think the question is, will businesses start to look after the staff? Because that's that's become clear. Lockdown has taught people that they've had twelve months holiday on furlough. Um, they've all gone and got a job at Amazon, packing boxes. Whether they do thirty eight hour working week, if they do thirty nine, they get paid for it. Um, and now they're questioning, why would I go and do 65 hours a week when I'm only going to get paid for 48? That's not right. And the problem is everybody in the industry is now on this train, whether you work in a Michelin star restaurant or whether you work in a, a one rosette restaurant or a no rosette restaurant, everybody has that mindset. And I think if the government decides to bring a minister in who could actually maybe fight the corner of hospitality, I think that would probably benefit the industry if there was some actual laws put in place to to make sure the welfare is there. You know, I remember listening to Sat's podcast um, and he was saying about, you know, we have uh, a free helpline for staff to call as part of our packages now with the staff. And I just thought that that's what more people need to do. Looking after your staff is paramount. Because if you look after your staff, they will look after you. You will serve better food. You'll get better reviews. You'll have regular business. Your business will succeed. It's as simple as that. If everyone's happy in that building, you're on a winner. 
but it depends how you look at it. If you want a 200 cover restaurant and you're all about the money and you just want to fill it with just bodies who will do a job, I, I don't think there's longevity in that world. I really don't. There I is. want to get up and go to a restaurant and have a nice meal and, and feel important and feel special, and I will pay whatever it costs for that. I said that to a mate of mine recently. I went and had brunch at his restaurant, and one thing that I said was that the brunch was amazing, and it's my go-to place because it just, you know, I had crumpets with um, lovely uh, brisket on top, and it had, like, balsamic onions running through it as well, which cut through the, the brisket, poached egg, yeah. hollandaise. It was beautiful. It was plated well. Yeah. Service was fantastic. But the one thing that bugged me about the entire experience was I only paid 11, 11 pounds for it. Nine between nine and eleven pound, and I felt it was too cheap. I felt that it devalued the experience because actually I wasn't paying more for. It. I would have quite happily paid an extra pound, two pound, three pound on top of that mm. for that particular meal because I was there for a decent amount of time. I enjoyed it thoroughly. You know, it's something I walked away and told other people about. Yeah, but I genuinely would have paid more, and I think that that I think that slightly off topic, but again on the terms of being able to make more money to be able to pay our staff a better wage, or at least if we're not paying our staff a better wage, reducing their hours so that they get paid for, you know, the same wage or the same salary yeah. that they're getting paid currently, but actually they have more bodies on the floor. Because again, the study that I did recently actually showed that um, it wasn't wages. It wasn't money that people wanted. And it wasn't money the reason why people left the industry, and it's not money that's going to get them back into the industry. It's work-life balance. And mm -hmm. by, and also, well, the most interesting thing as well was that what rated really highly was feeling valued. In fact, for those who have left the industry already, which was 33%, we found that uh, it was about 25% of people, of those that had left, said that they would come back if they were felt more valued yeah. and again you know there'll be people out there going oh that means me being paid more but i don't necessarily think that is i think that comes down to management and, and performance yeah. and, and i think that arm around the shoulder and that that little uh, we, we used to do things like that years ago I've, I've seen it happen i've done it myself a little surprise little treat here and there you know listen um you're going to finish you know you tell someone it's say five o'clock right you're going to finish at six tonight you've got the night off. And they go, what? And you say, yeah, you got the night off. Or you'd say to somebody who might have a missus, you know, listen, tomorrow night you're going to get the night off. I want you and your missus to come in and have dinner and experience what the customers go through. You can have dinner on us and a bottle of wine. And I want you to come and experience where you work. And I want your partner to come and see where you work. And little things like that can go quite a long way. Um, mm. Bear with me. Um, and I think just being there for them, really, looking after them, spending time talking to them as well. You know, how are you? How is your family? You know, is there anything you need from me? Just just having those general conversations with people can can make somebody feel welcome, make them feel part of the team, not just you're the kid on larder, you're the girl on pastry, you're the lad on veg. You know, you're not just you're not just a section. 
you're a human being, you've got emotions, you've got feelings, and you should be able to feel comfortable in yourself to say, actually, is there, is there, you know, I've worked in kitchens where you're scared to go and ask for a glass of water. You know, the only time you sit down is by saying, I need to go to the toilet, just so I can have two minutes to sit down. And it's a scary environment for people to walk into. So to have somebody there that's not in a HR office, you shouldn't need a HR department to guarantee people are feeling looked after. Like you said, mm. it's down to the management of individuals. And I'm a firm believer that if you lead by example, you will automatically command that respect from your team and you will then get back tenfold. And I say to all my staff that I've worked with over the years, if you've got a problem, you want to say anything at all, do it in the right manner. Say to me, chef, can I have five minutes with you after service? No worries. We'll go to the office. We'll have a private conversation. If it's money problems, if it's family problems, if it's partner problems, whatever it is, come and tell me. My door is always open. And I've, I've always adapted that mentality. If you come to me in the middle of a Saturday night service and say, chef, can we have a chat? I'd be like, no, because we're in the middle of service, you know, pick your time wisely. But if you pick 10 o'clock in the morning before we started our shift, can I have five minutes? No problem at all. You know, that's what we're there for. Um, but yeah, I just think, I think collectively the industry's got to do some sort of movement to look after people and, and start checking in with people, start asking the questions. Are you okay? Because the old slogan is, you know, it's okay to be not okay, which is right. But because you're in this very big bravado of a, a kitchen where it's full of egos and everyone's puffing their chests out, and it, it doesn't have to be like that. I'm not saying it needs to be all, oh, can I, can I just please, can I squeeze past you here? And it, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as that. But there's common decencies. There's a respect that needs to be given across the entire industry that, do you know what? This person's working six days this week. That's not right. That that needs to be addressed. You can't keep using the same excuse of, yeah, but we're really busy. We're doing 800 covers today. It doesn't matter. If you're doing 800 covers and your staff are working six days, the problem is your management. Or you're doing too many covers for your staff. And you mm. need to address that problem. Otherwise, everyone has a breaking point and you will end up with a kitchen with no chefs. And then those 800 covers will not be fed and you will lose more money than that extra chef that they actually need that they've been screening for for three months. If you put that in place now, you're ticking that box. I agree with you. I was on um, BBC Radio Cornwall this morning saying exactly the same thing. They were saying, oh, uh, how is it going to be sustainable with summer over here? You know, we've got a resource crisis. We're struggling to get people to work. Those that do want to come and work in Cornwall can't get accommodation at the moment in time because they're being bought up by people from outside the area. Mm -hmm. Like, is it sustainable? And I was like, it's sustainable, but we might have to think outside the box. Like, do we need to do work at 100% occupancy when we've only got 50% of our staff currently? Yeah. You know, if if that's the route that you want to go down, then those remaining 50% won't be there. But then always in the back of my mind, I'm looking at it from a business owner's perspective as well and going, what, like, how financially viable is it to be able to because your rates are still going to be the same, your utility bills and your rents and all of those core costs, whilst your staffing costs may be lower, which may be, what, 35% of the overall turnover of the business. Mm -hmm. 
would it be sustainable to be able to reduce the number of covers that you've got to say 60% in order to match the 50% of your staff? I think I think one of the big questions that, that restaurateurs need to ask themselves is, why do you open a restaurant? Do you open a restaurant because you want to make a difference to hospitality? Or do you open a restaurant to to make money? Now, I think it's important that you have to make money anyway. That's a fundamental basic. But at what cost? Because you can always make profit because the margins are there in the food and drink industry. But it depends on how much profit you want to gain. Do you, do you want to treat it like slave labor where you've got a load of kitchen staff and a load of front of house staff running around like idiots and you're sat counting the pennies at the end of a, another phone line where you're not actually involved in it? Or do you want to be a restaurateur that's, you know, part of your team, someone that is respected by the team, someone that looks up to him and says, actually, you know, I don't mind doing a few extra hours this week because he looks after us or she looks after us, you know? And I think it's a big, it, it's a big question. There, there's, there's so many questions in hospitality at the moment, so many. Um, and that, again, that that's why I wanted to push out there on the consultancy front because you're right. I've I've got a very coveted career. I've worked in some amazing restaurants, from fine dine to boutique hotels to coffee shops, and I, I want to use that knowledge now to put back into the industry and and actually spend time with people and say, you know, take take allergens for example. My mind is blown by this. So my my wife to be is is celiac and we went to a, a, a bar the other day for some lunch and we looked at the menu and the only thing on the menu that was gluten-free was peppercorn sauce and I was blown away by this but they had five vegan dishes and I just thought to myself someone's missing a trick here somewhere surely we can't cater for a, a lifestyle choice over an actual allergy dietary and, and again, this all just cements the whole consultancy for me that, you know, people need support. People need support in this industry. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's too many people doing it for the wrong reasons, I think. It's tricky, isn't it? Especially with vegan food and, again, off topic, but most vegan substitutes now contain high levels of wheat as a stabilizer don't they say so, you know well, you by, by... What it's like going somewhere and being told uh, yeah we do vegan food but we don't cater for allergies and i'm just like mind's blown just like how is this right this isn't right but it all comes it all comes i mean you look at the demographic of people that works you know certainly back of house and i think it's true to say predominantly for front of house as well when you've got the those who are aged between sort of 18 to mid 30s the chances are that some may be, and we have very accomplished people in this field, but also the, the skill sets and the knowledge and experience may not necessarily be there to be able to access the repertoire of different, you know, to be able to cater from it. Also to be able to cater from a business point of view as well and to make it work from a business point of view. Because, you know, we all, we all, we've all met chefs and some of us have been there ourselves where, you know, if you're a chef, you want to put your dishes on the menu and you want to do it yes, your you do. way. But also at the same time, it needs to be what the customers are going to buy. And it also needs to be sustainable long term. So you need to be looking at your yeah. wastage and like how many ingredients are being used across multiple dishes so that you're not holding on to stock and wasting 30 to 40 percent of your ingredients a, a week. Yeah. You know, and it's 
100%. It's that sort of stuff that unless you've got a really strong mentor or an educational background that covers those subject matters or a consultant, it doesn't, it just doesn't get, to, you don't learn that sort of stuff. And you only learn that through the school of hard knocks over a long period of time as well. So I think that's where that's where we're really sort of struggling at the moment is that that catchment of people there. It's like, what can we do in order to be able to provide them with the tool set so that the business they work for can operate healthier, healthier, that they can manage their team performance in a much more positive way that's conducive to long-term retention to save them having to constantly be up against a brick wall trying to get people in at last minute. And by addressing those things, I think we start to see a slow but steady re- change in the way that this conversation moves on moving forward yeah i mean i've i'm i'm unindated at the moment i must get two or three calls a day from people asking me for head chefs do you know a head chef do you, do you can you find me a head chef and i'm like i can look i can ask questions i can put the feelers out to the people i know but i need to know fundamentally what are you offering well we're offering a really good wage well, okay, that's a guarantee. What else are you offering? It's, it's a really nice place to work. We'll, we'll do tips as well. Uh, okay, you're offering just a blueprint of a job that everybody else is offering. As, and I say to these people, you need to be offering something that is different. You need to be saying, we do staff days out. There, there needs to be some incentives now. You know, We're giving you a full gym membership. We want you to look after yourself. We're doing a four-day working week. We're paying your overtime. You know, a wage plus tips, that, that's a standard. You know, that, that shouldn't even be in, in a question. There. That's, that's a given. What are you looking after your staff with? How are you making them feel like they want to come and work here? You know, if you're offering a four-day working week with paid overtime and gym membership or golf club memberships and all the rest of it, then yeah, I'll, I'll find you a chef tomorrow because I know people that would quit their job for that. But if you're just offering a run-of-the-mill head chef job that everyone was offering five years ago, no one's going to do it now. Nobody wants that world. And you're absolutely right. People have had this time off now to assess themselves. Uh, they're all keeping fit. They're all getting healthy. Uh, and they want to enjoy their life. Everyone's having kids. Everyone's getting families now. And they... They don't want to be working 16 hours a day and they shouldn't have to because, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head, Chris. It's down to management. It's down to how you manage your business and your departments is how you get the best out of your staff. Mm. And it couldn't be any easier for business owners nowadays. I say easy. We've gone through some tough times, but the Burnt Chef Support Service is free. So it gives people that EAP that they've been looking for that they don't have to pay for. We're going to mm-hmm. extend it with partnership with the Drinks Trust so that actually people can start getting advice on legal matters, managerial matters, free counselling sessions, you know, the mm-hmm. whole work. So all of a sudden, the support system is in place for every yeah. single business across the UK and Ireland to be able to access. And we are looking at extending it. We're in talks with Canada and America to extend it over there as well full time. So those wow. sort of things, those sort of things are covered. Then on top of that, we've got collaborations with like the hospitality rewards card, which is um, discounted available for Burnt Chef um, you know, followers, 
whereby people can then get access to gym cards, discounted AA membership, discounted health insurance, all of this other stuff, which the employer can put in place for like a couple of quid per person a month, which all of a sudden now then gives people access to additional perks. And then it's about those are the those are the cost efficient ways of being able to show you you care. And then as you say, it's about putting in place structural changes to actually show that the back it up and just because the other thing that I really, really detest is the fact that these EAP systems, oh, we've got an EAP system in place. Great. How many people use it? Oh, not really many people. Do they know it exists? No. Why have you got it in place there for? You, you, <laughs> please give donate that money to us. We'll provide you that, that service. And also at the same time, we'll be able to help a whole more, a larger portion of the industry yeah, as well. Of course. Of course. Um, it's such a frustrating thing. But you're right. And I do believe that we need to start we need to value our workforce because we had a 3.2 million strong workforce in the UK, 72 million worldwide. Are those numbers going to be the same when we come back to it full-time without instructions? No Probably chance. I think, we'll, I think we will see a slight move where it, if he continues with his battle plan of removing furlough in, I think it's September, I think that's when the penny will drop for a lot of people because there's a lot of people living the furlough lifestyle at the moment. And I think when that disappears and they have to go and get back to work, I think that's when you'll see the industry move a little bit further forward with its recruitment side of it. But equally, you, you're absolutely right. They've got to look after the staff. There, there has to be things put in place to look after, support your staff. Otherwise, they will just go to Amazon. They will just go to Aldi or Sainsbury's because they know that, you know, it's not always about food. Like I said, I was addicted to it. It, it was a massive addiction to me not everyone's like me some people just do it for a job would you ever go back into a kitchen i would go in to help out i would do private dinners would i go back into being a head chef working 16 hours a day five days a week uh honestly no i don't think i would but in a utopian world whereby we have actually address some of the issues we've discussed in this podcast and you were working 38 40 hours a week and you were getting a decent salary you're being also felt like you were being valued and looked after and you're able to put your passion and pride onto a plate without fear of you know losing your job because of margins etc would you would you would you go back to that career Mm, it's difficult it's difficult because I'm, I'm now seeing a new lifestyle that i've never experienced before you know, having having dinner every night with your family, having your weekends to yourself. Now, I never really valued weekends when I worked in the industry. It was just the days when I always worked. I'd always worked Saturday night. That was it. It was the big night of the week. It was the main event. You, you know, I was on the past. That was my area. That was big night. But I look at it now and think, what do I gain? I get to cook. I get to talk to customers, which I love. But then I'm there till half past 11, 12 at night and then back in at nine o'clock on a Sunday to get ready for a Sunday lunch. Now, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'd rather just make a couple of nice fillet steaks and open a nice bottle of red wine at home on a Saturday night and and then on a Sunday go for a nice dog walk and have a nice roast myself. I think that, that ticks my world better, but that works for me as an individual. So I think, yeah, from my stance, my cooking days in serious kitchens as a chef full-time are done. But I'll help, you know, if, if somebody that needs a portion, if I can help people, I'll help people. If they want me to come in and 
trained some staff on, you know, let's work to a masterclass on butchery. We really want our staff to learn how to prep chickens and beef fillets and all the rest of it. I'll, I'll come in and teach people, no problem. You know, you want some support, I'll come in. I'll come in as that senior sous chef to come and help support your team. But yeah, when it comes to service time, yeah, five days a week doing that. I've done, I've done my time in kitchens now, Chris. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It'd be interesting to see in 20 years' time if I'm ha- still having these conversations with individuals. I mean, hopefully I won't be. Hopefully this whole thing will be redundant and I can, I can you know, move on to, to a new challenge. But it'll be interesting to see if we are able to get those work-life balances and the respect and everything else that goes with it that comes as part of this great industry and we can actually start to look at it like we do with other industries whether or not mm. people are going, yeah, do you know what, this is, I've been doing this for 35 years now and I'm, you know, I'm happy that I'm working Friday night, but I'm getting Saturday off and then I'm doing Sunday or, you know, whatever it might be because I've got a rotor system that works for me and I've got a work-life balance. So I've been happily married for 15, 20 years and all this other stuff, you know, that we just sort of. It's like the written rule, isn't it? A head chef can't take Saturday night off because it's the main night. And I've just said to you that I love being on the pass on a Saturday night. But then if you turn around to your business owner and said, right, I'm taking Saturday night off, it's not a wedding, it's not a funeral, I'm just taking Saturday night off, you'd get looked at saying, you can't, it's Saturday night, you need to be here Saturday night, it's the big night. And that pressure can sometimes be too intense. You know, for me, if your business runs properly and your management do their job properly, it doesn't matter who's in the kitchen on whatever day. Yeah, 100%. Remove the control factor. If you're spending time developing your team properly, upskilling them in the right areas and the areas that they need development yeah. on or want to develop on, and all of a sudden, irrespective of whether you've got a CDP at the pass or you've got an executive chef, the customer doesn't know any difference and service still runs as smoothly, then your individuals are feeling valued, they're feeling developed, yeah. they're feeling creative, the business is still running effectively. And ultimately, you're able to get a work-life balance. There's always going to be things that a head chef can do and a management team can do that that these you know CDP may not have experience in, in terms of being able to manage GP and in terms of being able to you know negotiate with suppliers and manage teams. And that's the job of a manager. That's what we do. Of course. But the more skilled that your your team are, the more competent they are, the more resilient they are, the less work you have to be responsible for which reduces the pressure shares the load and ultimately leads to a, an equilibrium 100 100 percent. i agree with that well we continue in our, on our mission to to educate and to try and to try and fix this but before i let you go today i just wanted to ask you one final question um which i ask all of my guests and you probably heard on previous podcasts but i'm intrigued had you known what you know now, I mean, what would you be turning around to and saying to your younger version of yourself before, you know, before you started striving for those accolades and before you ended up, you know, feeling that pressure? What would you say to yourself right now? Um, do more listening and create more time to think and to. To, to take that time to think, to make the right decisions for the right reasons. 
I think, um, yeah, I think, like I say, I've, the, the big thing I've noticed at the moment is time. It's given me a lot of thing, you know, a lot of thinking time. And yeah, I've, I, I'm a better person by thinking things through. And I think you see it all the time in the industry. People just literally sprint into decisions and then deal with the consequences or the managers have got to deal with the consequences of their erratic behavior afterwards. So I think take some time, just have, have a chill, have a think about things. Is this right? Is this the right decision for me? Am I going to learn? Am I going to grow? Yes, no. That's your decision-making tool. So I think that would be mine. It's a good point. Good point. And as uh, we'll we'll be working hard to try and develop more training modules around that as well, emotional intelligence and solitude as well, because we work on an industry driven by adrenaline and fueled by creativity. But ultimately, we don't tend to engage the brain that much. We tend to be uh, very reactive, which is why we see the quintessential shouty, angry, stress, stress chef, or you know, it all goes, or, up. It all goes back to the management tool, though. The reason that you sh you're shouting at everybody is because you're stressed because you're not managing your world. You well know? said. I just want to say as well, I think you guys are doing an amazing thing um, and I feel really honoured to be part of this, really do. And keep up your continued good work. Thank you. Is there anything that, from your perspective you'd like to see moving forward from the Burnt Chef project? Uh, more people backing it. I think that's the key for me i want to see more people you know i i was fortunate i was driving to essex and um i listened to the sat one and kirk's one and that that's what made me you know get in touch with you because i was just compelled by just the story and the way that it was put together this it just grips me i think i told about 20 people in, the, in a matter of 24 hours about the podcast I'm just you need to get involved you need to listen to this it's so important you listen to it because this could be a support network for you later on down in your career. It could be something that you rely on. It could be something that you bring into structuring your management world. So many, so many keys. Um, but yeah, I just think it's, you know, I think if I go back 11 years and I knew about this, I think I would have reached out to someone like yourself and this, this, um, the burnt chef project. Absolutely. Means we we're on the right tracks. So we'll continue to uh, to to make some noise and spread it. But I mean, without people like yourself, Mike, you know, it'd just be me sat in a room banging the drum and and looking kind of strange. So, uh, you know, fair play to you. Thank you very much for joining me. If people wanted to find you, where where could they find you? Uh, you find me at um, the Hospitality Hut. Um, is my new business. Uh, so you can email me, Mike, at thehospitalityhut.co.uk. Get in touch. Um, and like I say, I just want to help. That's it. I just want to help businesses grow. I'm not the sort of person that goes in and says, oh, you're doing all this wrong. It's more about tell me your business plan and let me help you get there. That's it. Nice. I can resonate with that. But, Mike, thanks ever so much for your time. Thanks for joining us. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to speak again soon. Defo. All right, Chris, take care. Cheers, mate. See you later. Bye. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. 
If you haven't yet checked out the Burnt Chef Project website, then please head over to www.theburntchefproject.com. You'll find a whole host of resources, free access to our training app, as well as free support services, blog posts, our merchandise store, and also our ambassadors who are there to support you when you need it. Thanks again for joining us this week, and I'll see you again soon.